You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. Welcome again. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Mark chapter 9, continuing our study in the the book of Mark. And before we open the scriptures, if anyone needs a Bible, there's some Bibles in the back. Um, We'd love to to get the Word of God into your hands. Um, If you need to borrow one or if if you just don't have one, feel free to take it home with you. And let that be our gift to you. But uh, yeah, before we open the scriptures fully and start diving in and, and reading, I want to take a moment just to pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you that this is your book, which you have given us. We thank you that it introduces us to your Son, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that it is the work of the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds. And to bring these words that are printed on the page to life. And beyond simply a human voice, we, we ask, Lord, that you, we not, not only hear a human's voice, but that we might hear the very voice of God. And it's in this that we ask and we pray and we pray humbly, Lord, that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And he, being Jesus, said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. (coughs) His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters or three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say because they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Verse 11, and they asked him, Why do teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wish, just as it was written about him. (coughs) Let me grab a quick drink. So Mark's just finished talking about the way of Jesus, being a road that is not marked with prosperity or success, but is actually marked with 
death. And essentially stating that he as the Messiah was going to be rejected by the religious elite and the religious community to the point that he was going to be put to death. And that three days later he would rise again. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, we used to always do these field trips. It was always fifth and sixth grade where you go on these overnights and you would do these nature field trips. And it wasn't like normal school where you're sitting and you're writing papers and taking tests. It was hands-on. You know, they were honestly, they were just the best because I was terrible at regular school. But field trips, I was game. I mean, who doesn't like a good field trip? But they're hands-on. You're out in the woods. And you'd have your little journal with you. And you'd be expected to fill it up with all sorts of things. Things you saw, things you heard, things you experienced. And the beauty of that, mind, and that, of that approach is there's something that it does sear something into our minds and into our experience and into our soul. Because we have a memory that is strictly connected with what we learned in those times. Like I'll always remember that you can chew wintergreen mint, those little lifesaver things, and they will sparkle at, or like they'll like make light in the middle of the night. Some of you are gonna probably try it now tonight on their way home. But we're gonna approach this morning's text with a similar approach that they do with field trips. This idea of looking and paying attention and this also the idea of listening, listening to what we are told and what we see and what we hear. And so right off the bat, if we were looking at what's going on here, and if I were writing a book that was expected to go from generation to generation and to stand the test of time, to be this book that was going to show what God was like and who he is, I honestly don't know if I would have included this story. Because many skeptics look at this story and they mock it. Because it seems a little woo-woo. Or it seems a little fairy-tale-ish. Because the skeptic can come and they can say, you know, it sounds like you've invented this. Sounds more like mythical type things. You know, like I would believe in Zeus as much as I would believe in Jesus based on this story. It sounds like mythology rather than a historical account or incident. Because if any of you are like me, which I think you all are, I haven't lived and had this experience. Not in my walk with the Lord or, you know, previous to me walking with the Lord, where all of a sudden the person I'm hanging out with, their clothes begin to shine as bright as the sun. That's not happened to me yet. But Peter knew that skeptics would come. He knew that people would come and they would question the validity of the gospel that they were preaching. Which is why Peter wrote in his second letter, you know, in verse 16 he says, For we do not follow, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's actually talking about this story. Peter is saying these aren't just ideas that we came up with or fun stories to tell around the campfire or positive ways to improve your life, but these were actual events that we saw with our own eyes. 
And this is ultimately why we see that the apostles were willing to die for their faith, because it wasn't just a story or folklore. These men would have gladly said it was all a lie to save themselves if that was the case. So coming back to our text, Jesus takes his inner circle up the mountain, which most likely would have been Mount Hermon, which is around like so higher than 9,000 feet. So it's a pretty high mountain. And so they would have had quite the hike with, of them for them to get all the way up there. And it's once all these guys get up there, and it's just Jesus and the three, his inner circle, it's in this place that he's transfigured. And if you're like me and you didn't grow up in church, that word can maybe sound kind of strange, and it is a strange word. So I looked it up. What does it mean to be transfigured? What does transfiguration mean? And it means to transform into something more beautiful or elevated. So as Jesus is standing there with his disciples, he begins to change in a beautiful and awe-inspiring way. His clothes begin to shine wider than anything they'd ever seen. The disciples know that something important is happening because they can tell because it's, you know, as it normally is with God, they're seeing something they've never seen before. If you imagine in your mind's eye this moment, they're up at the top of this mountain. They're probably tired, like thinking to themselves, oh, Jesus is probably going to teach us to pray again. He likes to pray on the mountains. And all of a sudden, Jesus is glowing. It's at this moment where Jesus becomes physically something bigger and different because he's no longer just Jesus the teacher or Jesus the miracle worker or even Jesus who's being proclaimed as the Messiah. It's at this precise moment that Jesus' glory and true identity is revealed and his humanity and his humility are no longer helping hide his true identity. And I think about this a lot because what, one of the most common prayers that you hear people pray is, God, we want to see you. God, I want to see you. I want to see you move. I want to see you work. I want to see you. And these men do. They see him. They see him in his power and his glory. And there's no earthly way to adequately explain what the disciples are witnessing at this moment. There's something so holy and so special about this moment. This, the only thing I can say is that Jesus' godness was on full display for them in this moment. Because they had seen Jesus the man with his compassion and with his heart and with his teaching. But now they, he is showing that I am the God-man. And so Jesus is not alone in this moment, though. Two men are standing with him, Moses and Elijah, which I always thought was kind of a cool fact. Hey, there's cool, these cool Bible heroes that are with them in this moment. But what's actually happening here is so much bigger because what's going on in this moment is their presence are, is actually giving credibility to the disciples on who Jesus actually is. Because if you look back through the Gospels, you'll see that the most common criticism of Jesus 
was that he didn't respect the law or the teachings of the prophets, and that he was this rogue and liberal teacher who had no respect for the scriptures, which is why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he says, don't, don't, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. But Moses was, and you know, Moses was the widely accepted father of the law, and Elijah was likewise the most respected of the prophets. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're like, that's great. This is a really good history lesson. Thanks, Mike. You're welcome. <laughs> but something powerful is happening in this moment, and it's a it's hard to fully wrap our hearts and our minds around this. And I want you to notice what Jesus is doing with Moses and Elijah. They're interacting and they're talking as friends. Like they know each other. They care for each other. That they're in relationship with one another. These men are seeing God, but they are also seeing resurrected beings. With Elijah and and Moses. They're seeing God wrapped in human flesh like we see in the like we always celebrate in the Christmas story. And I think it's interesting because like I said, we always pray to see God. And we always want to see God work, but sometimes the reality is is it's really scary in those moments. Because when we look at how they responded in this moment, it's not like, hey, they're super excited right away. It just says, verse 6 tells us everything. They're terrified. So scared that none of them will say anything except for Peter. Which Peter's my guy. And I often pray, myself, I, I often pray to God, I want to see you. I want to see you move in powerful ways. I want to see you in a real and meaningful way. And these men, they're overwhelmed in this moment. The men that they, the man that they had walked with, ate with, and spent two years with up to this point. They not only know that he is God intellectually and spiritually, but they've seen that he is God. And so if we look, we take that field trip, field trip approach, and we go, so if we look, and what do they see? They see that Jesus is unlike anyone they have ever seen. He was respected by these highly respected historical figures in the Jewish faith. The question I have for you is, have you seen Jesus for who he really is? Or is your approach to him more of, he's a good teacher, who gives you some good tips on how to live, or he's a therapist, or he's this guru, or he's a miracle worker who sometimes hooks it up and kind of makes things work for you. Because I think a lot of us like the idea of seeing Jesus the man. We see his compassion. We see him healing the sick and casting out demons and making people whole and giving sight to the blind playing with little children and feeding the hungry. We look at that and it warms our hearts. We're like, yes, that's, that's who I want to follow. 
And that, that's noteworthy, I would say. And that makes sense. Like, if I met someone in my neighborhood that lived that way, I'd be like, man, I want to, like, get to know this guy because he's just a great person. And so have you seen that he is man, but have you also seen that he is God? Because it's one thing to know, because the disciples knew at this point. Peter had just made the proclamation that, hey, we believe you're the Messiah. But it's a whole other thing to see. And I actually believe that we have the ability to see him spiritually. Hear what Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 13. And he's challenging. It's kind of a negative approach, but it, it still fits and can encourage us in the positive. Him talking about the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, he said, For these people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Then Jesus looks to his disciples, and he says, But blessed are your eyes, because you see. In your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, I'm working. I'm here if you'll listen. I'm here and I'm working if you'll look for me. If we're honest, it sounds like seeing is almost as important, if not as an essential part of being a follower of Jesus. And so practically, what does that look like for us? Man, I think it, it, it looks like reading the scriptures, reading the gospels, taking time to really see who Jesus was. Hear the words that he spoke and the way that he carried himself. To look and see. You know, one of the most of the time when I pray in the mornings or when I'm praying when I'm reading my Bible in the evenings, a lot of times my prayer is super short and super simple. And it's just one sentence. I'm opening my Bible and I just say, Jesus, show me, show me you. I want to see you. But it's not just about what we see, it's also about what we hear. So let's, let's listen, let's listen in. And so as all of this is going on, Peter, who speaks freely and without thinking at times, which honestly makes him my personal favorite disciple to the point that we named our youngest son after him, uh, because I can relate to him in this. Like I love that he's this leader in the church and he has this passion and all these things. I also love that he's just a man and he talks without thinking sometimes because I'm like, yes, I can I can relate to that. Um, as anyone that's close to me can tell you. And I mean, if we're honest, so many of us can probably relate to that. I mean, if we go back through some of the different conflicts and struggles relationally that we've had with people over time, there's so many times that we get ourselves into trouble and the times that we usually get ourselves into trouble is when we try to speak when we aren't really sure what to say. It's wiser to just keep our mouths closed in those moments than it is to just blurt something out because we're uncomfortable with the silence. 
Peter begins speaking regardless, though, and he says, Jesus, it's good that we're here. Let us build booths for the three of you. And what's going on here is pretty significant because what Peter's saying here, the booths were assigned to the festival. You know, there was this festival of the booths, and it was a way that they would worship, and it was this special festival that they had once a year. And so Peter's kind of relating to that. But what's actually really going down in the essential of what he's saying is he's saying, let's build these booths so we can stay here. Let's just camp out on this mountain. I want to stay here with you, the glorified Jesus. We don't need to, we don't need to talk about all this suffering and this death. We're just going to stay up here. We don't need all these people. Let's just all leave it all behind and live on this mountain and that'll be great. And if I'm honest, I think a lot of us want to live that way. We want to find a way to avoid what God may be calling us to because it's challenging and it's because it's hard. We talked about it last week, the way of Jesus and, and the path for those that take on the name of Jesus as a follower or a disciple or whatever you want to use for your terminology is to take up your cross Willingly. Cross isn't used for anything other than crucifixion. So to willingly walk yourself to death, knowing that there's pain and suffering down the road. And so God is calling us to these challenging things. And no, the death that he's calling us to is not a physical death. But he's calling us to love the unlovable to forgive the undeserving, to care for those that are in need, to speak the truth where our culture would push lies and empty promises. And the question I would ask, you know, the question is is like, well, why? Because we don't want the suffering. We don't want the death. If we're honest, we want our best life now. We want the positive and encouraging Peter, like us, wanted the same thing. He wanted peace. He wanted comfort. He wanted the experience. He's like, I know you fed all these people. I'm pretty sure you could feed the four of us. We're good. And honestly, the whole get behind me Satan thing for Peter, you know, last week, I don't think that fully sank in for him in this moment. And it's at this moment that a cloud wraps around them, this picture, you know, when we think about in the Old Testament how... God led his people with this, this pillar. So if in, the, in these men's minds, it would have been like, God's presence is wrapped all around us. They had seen it go before them and behind them, but they were never fully inside it. And the, as this cloud's wrapped around them and they can't fully see, they hear a voice speak out, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. And so in this moment, what do we hear? What did they hear? God the Father is making this beautiful declaration over Jesus where he's saying, this is my son. This is my heir. This is my family. Who I love. He holds my heart. Those of us that are parents, we know that feeling where it's like, man, our kids, they do. They hold our hearts. And now listen to him. 
and he has my authority. You should be listening when, I, when he speaks. So God was speaking to the three disciples, but I actually think he's really speaking to Peter in this moment. Like, Peter, stop. Just listen, man. Stop going your own way or pursuing what you want and listen in, and listen in to what my son is trying to teach you, trying to show you, trying to give you. And I believe this is a word that is for some of us in this room this morning where we want to go our own path, use our own wisdom, make our own way, and we are unwilling or afraid to let Jesus tell us the way that we are to go because God the Spirit is speaking to us this morning. And he is saying it's time to submit ourselves to Jesus, to allow him to have not just a corner of our lives, but to have all of our lives, our stories, our desires, our habits, our finances, to follow in his footsteps and to become more like him. And as the cloud lifts, Elijah and Moses are no longer with them, and they begin walking down the mountain. It's just kind of like, okay, another crazy story with Jesus. And Jesus tells them, hey, don't tell anyone about this till after I rise from the dead. And they're kind of trying to figure out, what does that mean? What does it mean he's going to rise from the dead? Because they're still kind of like, if he dies, it's over. You don't come back. So like maybe this is like a spiritual death, or I don't, I don't know what this guy's doing. And so they're kind of trying to figure it out, and Jesus doesn't explain it to them. He's just like, hey, don't tell anyone. But what's crazy is they don't. <laughs> I think this is one of the only stories in the Gospels where Jesus says, don't tell anyone, and they actually listen. Every time they, he tells the people that, they go out and they tell every single face they can. And so what do we hear in this moment? Because these men had seen the divine breaking into their presence, and they're left confused by it all. So what do we hear? We hear that God the Father and Jesus are one, that he holds authority and that he has knowledge. And if we are his followers, we should. We should both see him because if we can't follow something we don't see, and we should also hear him. We can't become like him if we don't listen to him, if we don't hear the words that he's speaking. Because then... It's only then that we can truly learn from him. This idea of learning that Jesus desires for us, or the learning that Jesus desires for us goes so much deeper than an intellectual or a moral behavior. He intends to help us learn who we really are, what our real identity, that in Jesus we are a new creation, that the old shame, the guilt, the sin, the ugliness of our past has been washed away. The sins that we have committed and the sins that have been committed against us are now washed away and we are new and ready for what's ahead and ready for relationship with Jesus. And then the second thing is we see, we, we learn that he wants us to walk in the way of Jesus, that the path ahead is difficult and it may bring moments of pain, moments of suffering, but in the end, they will bring forth beautiful things in our lives. If we will just let go of our fears and walk in his commands. And lastly, he wants us to realize that he is worthy. 
Much of the time when we talk about following Jesus, we give a, a representation of what it's like, and we kind of, a lot of us pastors, we lean into this way of almost making it like Jesus is needy. That he's begging for you to come to him. Which if you read the Gospels, that is the farthest thing that, from what we see. Instead, we see Jesus, the God-man, who is saying, I'm here for anyone that is willing to come. But you have to be willing to come. And if there's one thing that I really feel like I see coming to the forefront of this passage, it's this, that Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our time. He's worthy of our effort and our affection. And he's worthy to let everything fall away to follow him. And it's as we learn these things that we will become more and more like him and shaped into his image and have a growing desire to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. And so I want to give a moment for you to just pause and to ask, is there something you're holding back from Jesus this morning? Maybe you're like Peter and you're like me and there's those areas where you're just like, I don't want to give this to you. I just want to be who I am. The most beautiful thing about Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit is that He doesn't force you. He doesn't come and break you in half saying you will submit and you will bend the knee because I am God. And He can. But He comes tenderly and He says... I'm here if you're willing. Would you come see who I am? Would you come hear the words that I have for you? Would you come follow me and go on this adventure with me? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We don't need to chase after these religious practices or all this intensity. But it's important for you to know who I am and to, to follow me and know me and love me. And so it's with that that I think we need to learn to, to look and to listen and eventually to learn. To allow Jesus to shape and move our hearts and lives and stories. And so, Father, we thank you that we can read the Bible. And we can think about it later on. And we can pray 
that what with that which is clear and that may be embedded in our thinking and with that which is vague may become the source of our our deeper thoughts Jesus anything that is untrue or unhelpful we ask that you would banish it from our thinking and that you will fill our gaze with the reality of who you are Jesus and the wonder of what you have done so that we might come before you in humility and that we might trust you entirely and that we might live for you resolutely and so we pray all of this in Jesus name amen and so i'm going to open up a time for us to come to the table i'm going to just play a song and we can take communion together and i do i just want to ask you to just ponder those things ponder those things in your heart so much of our life in the western church and in the western community is go 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 and and i am probably the worst at living that way and so i want to give some moment to pause and to allow the holy spirit to to speak is there a spot that you need to submit to jesus are you seeing jesus for who he is are you listening to jesus because it is a gift that is before us and i really do think it is that jesus wants to speak to you that jesus wants to be in relationship with you and be known by you we hope you enjoyed today's teaching from boise community church to find more resources and information about Boise Community Church or to give to the mission of Boise Community Church, please visit us online at boisecommunitychurch.org. If you were encouraged by today's podcast, please rate and review it so more people can discover the hope and joy of Jesus' love.